0: folks welcome back and if you're a new listener welcome to the show you're listening to the high performance human podcast and i'm your host simon ward before we get into today's show i want to talk to you about what it means to be a high performance human it has nothing to do with how fast you swim bike or run but it's got everything to do with your sleep nutrition physical activity personal relationships your work habits and so much more if these are areas you'd like to improve upon then we would love to help you I currently have availability to take on a couple of clients and my wife Beth who's a certified life coach also has some availability so depending on what you're looking to focus on we have you covered you can find contact details in the show notes so for today's guests they are husband and wife team Abby and Jamie Bedwell who both compete as pro triathletes under the team name fueled by faith earlier this year I had the pleasure of watching them both gain their pro licenses on the same day at the Outlaw Half in Nottingham, with Abby winning and James coming second in their respective races. In this episode, we'll chat about the dynamic of two pro triathletes coexisting under the same roof, the origins of their Fuel by Faith team, and how faith impacts their sports performance. The joy in both gaining their pro license on the same day. And we'll also talk about the challenges of being a pro triathlete. And finally, we cover their Genesis 215 project. So, enough of that. Let's crack on and hear from Jamie and Abby. Welcome to the show, Abby and James Bedwell. It's lovely to have you here.
1: It's lovely to be here.
0: Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us on. Uh, so, it was, what I'm thinking, five months ago when we last met, and you both were crossing the finish line uh, at the head of your respective almost at the head james but at the head of your respective fields at outlaw half and that was a a joyous day for you both wasn't it in in more ways than one
2: yeah
1: it was i mean it was a it was a massive day for us um it'd been a big target for a long time and um it kind of incredibly came together
2: uh, yeah it was amazing uh, we'd worked so hard yeah. you know in preparing for that day with our coaches and um with the family so much probably eight nine years of work had gone into that four and a half hours so yeah it, it was am- four and a
0: half hours but no so we should we shouldn't we should clarify what you're talking about here shouldn't we that it was um you you both finished in a position that enabled you to apply and get your pro licenses um which is why obviously abby you you won james you were second so that that's pretty good um turnout for the day but then obviously getting the pro license on top of that made it extra special and both doing it at the same race um, and James you were probably still at the finish line were you waiting for Abby to come across
2: yeah, it was horrible, it was <laughs> horrible because, um, we thought that she was being closed out I mean Abby still won by two clear minutes I think but... yeah
1: but because it's a rolling start rather than a mass start you don't know where anyone is and I'd asked my parents to kind of give me like time updates and the Outlaw Run course is is three laps around the lake Um, and heading out onto the first lap, they were like, no, you're fine. Um, Second lap, I think they said I still had five Five minutes and then just starting the third lap, they were like, oh, you're like three minutes down or something and I was just like, oh dear. (laughs) But I think they just... um,
2: Got confused. So we didn't really know coming over the line what and then when we came over what it was. when Abby came over the line, there's a photo that kind of encapsulates it perfectly <laughs> where I'm trying to explain to her while she's on the ground that she's done it. And also, even though I finished second, because the guy who finished 40 seconds ahead of me already had his pro license there, yeah. I've got it as well. And Abby's like completely oxygen deprived <laughs> and trying to take in this information. <laughs> and it's just this really lovely photo. It's a good photo, yeah. yeah I'm trying to explain this.
0: The, the uh, finish lines at the Outlaw Half are always quite difficult for us as announcers because we're announcing somebody coming across the line first and then trying to explain to the crowd. But it doesn't necessarily mean they've won because of the yeah. staggered start. And I think when we, were, when we were at Holcomb, there was a lady called Rosie Wilde who races for the army. And I was trying to get the top three ladies together to do some interviews for Helen Gorman to put on social media. And I interviewed the first three. And then I saw this lady sitting there in this army kit. And I was thinking, oh, I wonder who she is. And I went over and chatted with her. And I said, oh, um, where, where did you finish? And she said, oh, I think I was second or third. I'm like, What? And it turned out that she'd started about six minutes behind everybody else, so she appeared to have finished in the top ten. And actually, I think she did finish third. So, um, yes, rolling starts are great, aren't they? For the majority yeah, of athletes, yeah. in terms, of... that's,
2: that's yeah, what I love about a, it. A, it's a pure racing, time trial, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, and it's yeah. There's no. The tactic is you are your you're racing yourself, yeah. and I love that about it.
0: Okay, well, let's let's rewind a little bit and talk about um, starting out in triathlon. Um, So, Abby, where did you start in triathlon?
1: Uh, So I started triathlon when I was 13, I think, which is a tri-star two. Um, But I didn't go straight into triathlon. I'd always kind of done swimming because my mum thought it was important that you could swim from a young age. and then started mountain biking because my parents moved to live. So we live just on the South Downs way. Um, and cause it's such a, such a lovely place to, to mountain bike. My dad got me into that. And then I did like a school cross country and I did all right there and I qualified for the next round and I didn't want to come last in the next round. So I started to do a bit of run training. Um, and then my dad was like, Oh, there's actually an event where you do swim, bike and run. Um, I gave that a go quite enjoyed it and there the rest is history really I joined Body Works and um I should say a couple of years before that actually there was an athlete at Body Works um Todd Lecky. he was mm-hmm. the 2012 uh, Olympic Reserve and um he came to my school when I was maybe seven and did like a talk about triathlon and as a seven year old I had no idea what the sport was um but that
0: then linked up to how I got into Bodyworks after doing my first triathlon. Okay. So Body Works was is is a local um gymnasium and triathlon club run by some some names that most people won't remember, but I do because Glenn and Sarah, Glenn Cook and Sarah Coop were the, the sort of prominent triathletes when I first started many, many years ago, probably before you two were born. Um so and it's great to see the influence they've had on um the sort of the next generations I say plural of triathletes that have come because you mentioned Todd Leckie there but there was um, Henny and Oliver Freeman before that and so there's been some there's been some really good athletes that have been mentored and tutored by Glenn Saris and I I did a podcast with Sarah a long time ago talking about her journey through triathlon so it's really interesting to have you folks on and connecting that as well. It's Um,
1: also quite nice for us now that we've moved over to the longer distance side of things, and obviously, Sarah was third in Kona back in her, yeah. Um, and she races a pro, so it's quite nice now that we are starting to understand the long distance world, we can
2: appreciate what she achieved, like even more. I think, and other members of the club as well. Yvette Grice is another yeah. another member, so her I'm husband, a, yeah, one of her, our coaches, but she won, um, I'm on UK. UK in Bolton. She's raised the current. So it's just re- there are multiple generations through a club that's now, I think, almost 30 years old. So, um, yeah, it's it's a small, it is a small club. But there's a small knit group of performance athletes within then the age group athletes. And then you've got the children's side of it as well. But the it's actual big club. It is a big club. The actual performance side that. of it, there's yeah. kind of 12 to 16 of us mm. at an absolute maximum. And that's just the way that Glenn likes yeah. it and Steve likes it. And we're very happy there and have been there for a yeah. long time
0: now. So let, let me ask you, the um, Body Works is a privately run group, isn't it? Um, yeah. how, how does that fit into the Region Academy then? Because I know Sarah and Glenn have both had links to that. Mm.
1: Uh, so the Academy is still based down because Sarah and Glenn have both run it at different points. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is Even though it's for the whole South East, it's kind of based just down here in in Eastbourne when they have the Academy days. Yeah. Um, and that meant when we were on the Academy... Um,
2: well, funny story, really... we were actually never on the <laughs> Academy. I mean, this this pretty much sums up, like, that'd be a nice kind of triathlon... We were never good enough at the Academy and it was really <laughs> very out of the kindness of Sarah that she would allow us um, to come along to the Academy days. But we never... We were, never they, once hit the criteria to...
1: They um had something called the affiliate, which is what we technically were, because I couldn't run quick enough and you couldn't swim quick enough. Yeah. So, um, But Sarah knew, because we trained with Bodywork, Sarah knew that we were decent when we put it all together as a triathlon, but the, the time trial format you use to do it doesn't necessarily show that. Um, mm-hmm. So she was kind enough to keep us on there. And I guess if it wasn't for that, we probably wouldn't be here right now, but...
2: And Their daughters as well, they've Beth's just well, not just a year and a bit ago left the university, so they've kind of run their course with the academy now and they've probably done it for like
0: yeah. 20, 20, years. 20 years. Yeah, well, they did. We, st- um, when the whole academy program started back in 2000, and let's say after Sydney before Athens Olympics, so maybe 2002, they set up regional academies. So there was the southeast, there was a southwest. There was London and the home counties, I think. Um, there was East Midlands, West Midlands. Then there was the North of England. Jack Maitland and myself were looking after the North of England at the same time. So um, periodically we'd meet, we'd see Glenn at coaches meetings, uh, academy, mm. um, but t- talent ID programme meetings, they were called then at Loughborough. Yeah, so uh, it goes it's going back a long way. And they were right in there at the start. Um, how about you James tell me about your journey to uh, this point
2: yeah I have to say Simon, first of all I, not even my mum
0: calls me James <laughs> don't they oh Jamie yeah.
2: no that's right Sarah, Sarah calls you James the, actually yeah. of all the people Sarah is one of the only people that sometimes refers to me as James
0: yeah okay uh, Jamie, uh, Jamie Jamie <laughs> noted <laughs>
2: um yeah my my uh, journey in strife was very different i played Quite a high level rugby from well I watched Rugby World Cup as a five-year-old in my mum and dad's bed and uh watching Johnny kind of kick that drop goal was the moment I said to my mum oh, can I can I start playing rugby and I remember it was a very sad day because I had to go and get my glasses that day and I was really upset about it huh. and um and yeah and then I so I joined my local rugby club in Uckfield and then I moved to Brighton I scouted through London Wasps and then I played harlequin schools of rugby year seven year eight and then i had a slight problem in that i didn't hit puberty at the same age as everybody else okay um and i was quite a skillful rugby player but physically i really struggled from kind of year nine onwards mm-hmm. and um yeah a guy called paul hedger is a really fantastic guy and he runs lots of local triathlons in the southeast he did it again, an assembly at, at my school in Uckfield, at my secondary school. And um, I didn't know how to swim. I could only swim head up breaststroke. And I was 12 or 13 at this point. And I was struggling, or well, beginning to struggle with rugby. I just gave it a go. I went along to my, the local um, triathlon at the Uckfield Leisure Centre. I think I swam head up breaststroke for... 10 of the 12 lengths I think I miscounted as well I fell <laughs> off on the bike on the grass twice once in transition and once actually on the bike and you I wanna fold up darhol yeah my got me, yeah bless him um and yeah that was but I loved it I absolutely loved it and I think for a cup for maybe a year and a half I did triathlon alongside rugby and when I say alongside I did one training session a week which was two hours an hour swim which really helped me kind of begin to like be confident in the water and a kind of hours run with a bit of gym work that was just once a week the rest of the time I was playing rugby and then it got to a point I did Hever Castle triathlon and um it's
1: quite a brutal kids triathlon like yeah. it's, it's fairly off-road and
2: and rough really And I I did all right. And I remember my mum saying, like, you do quite well at this. And I was also, I'd also qualified for English schools um, for cross-country. And yeah, and I just decided I always wanted to to play for England as a a rugby player. Like, that was my, like, goal. Mm -hmm. And I just straight away just was like, okay, fine. And I just literally remember sitting on the stairs with my mum and saying, right, I'm going to do triathlon instead. I'm (laughs) going to go to the Olympics. And... That, that was it like in my mind that like, that was all I it was just a straight swap for swap and then I joined Body Works and went from there
0: so um when did you two become an item then because of um I mean what's the age gap between you are you the same yeah. age
2: years no older? two years yeah yeah
0: so when so, you when when you joined then Jamie was Abby already a member or Abby was it the other way around yeah.
1: The other way around, I think. So you were in Glen's. I was in the Sarah's squad, which is for the younger ones. And then, by the time I moved up into Glen's squad, you were already you'd been there for maybe a year in Glen's
2: squad. Not that long. I think it was all very similar timing. Uh, I think because there was a couple of years age gap. I think I started body works properly when I was about fifteen, and you started probably when I was about thirteen.
1: Yeah. 15. Well I, I started like Glensport not till like 15 I don't think yeah.
2: but um so we knew each other for like a number of years.
1: But Didn't like know each other properly we just kind of knew we were who each other was if that makes sense.
0: So yeah, it wasn't when... wasn't love at first sight they you know gazing gazing at <laughs> each other across the pool through misty glasses.
1: Uh, I think at that age 2 years is quite a big
2: yeah age yes.
1: gap as well
2: but um it, it's a weird story but well, it's not weird it's it's quite um dramatic because yeah when i was i just thought when i was 18 so abby was now in abby was 16 yeah. she was in the um
1: and we were we starting to train more and more together like yeah. the you go on rides together and stuff like that as a squad so we were starting to become friends anyway yeah.
2: and i just started university um lo- locally in eastbourne and um i was going back to my mum and dad's on a sunday um. And stayed over, and then I did a run on the Monday morning that I do every, or I used to do every Monday morning. It was like a 10k out and back on the country roads, and it was an October morning. And um I was running on this long, big road, and there's kind of a right-hand sweeping bend, and the sun was really low. And so I was, because I was going around this like long sweeping bend, I was on the left-hand side of the road, and a lady was taking her kids to school in a Nissan Qashqai, and it's, you know, it's a 40 to 60 mile prior road and um just didn't see me and just just banged straight into the bus straight into the back of me when I was running and um yeah I just woke up in this thorn bush and just to this like this lady screaming and um yeah I like I'd I mean it was a few
1: a, serious yeah it was amazing it. that I
2: was alive like yeah. firstly that was just incredible. But yeah, I mean, I fractured my spine in two places. I, the the impact of the car hitting the back of my leg had burnt through the back of my calf, and I just got like quite a lot of burns, injuries. I um, had lacerations to my kidneys. I basically split open my elbow, and my head, and um, but I was okay. Like weirdly, you know, having said all that, like I was okay and.
1: Um, I think you had a phone in your back pocket yes. and that stopped your pelvis getting fractured because that hit the car instead, wow. yeah. um, which, you know, little details like that are just incredible. When you think An- Another about detail that
2: the cover of the wing mirror of the car, when I eventually fell into the bush was perfectly placed so that when my neck went back to hit the ground, it curved perfectly around the wing mirror of the car cover. Instead of snapping so instead of snapping my neck. Wow. Um yeah, and all just all these little details that you look back, on, you look back on and go, wow, that mm-hmm. saved my life, that saved my life. And um yeah, my 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 poor mum and dad, because they turned up and it was literally like helicopter, you know, air ambulance, fire brigade, police engines, like this car that was just in a terrible state and somewhere. There was their son. <laughs> and um it was only really, well, not only, but because of that accident, Abby was
1: so I was I was sat at college on lunch break or whatever it was when Glenn, our coach, put a text in our bodyworks um like group chat came through and it said Jamie'd been hit by a car. And at this point they didn't really know how okay he was gonna be. It was all a bit up in the air. Um and they just kind of like caught me by surprise that like I sort of teared up a bit and was like oh my I, I care about this guy more than I thought I did just kind of from that news it really hit me um and then I think we like went on our first date there wasn't really a date after that like I just messaged like
2: about it all just like yeah. oh my gosh I'd hear what happened and well, I invited Abby round, and Abby's mum had sent Abby <laughs> and her younger brother round to the flat that I was now living in in Eastbourne. And so I, my brother kind of basically sat through our whole what
1: was a first date, <laughs> but not really a first
2: date,
1: which is a little bit. Excellent.
2: Um, yeah. Jamie fed us uncooked pizza, which yeah. uh... I, I thought it would be cute to go do these like pizza bases, you know, make your own pizza, but I hadn't cooked them properly. It took
1: like an hour, and they still weren't really cooked, so we just kind of ate. What it was, yeah.
2: Um, oh well, we're still there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. how long? Um, how long did it take you to recover fully from that car accident, then, Jamie?
2: There's. You can probably split this into a few categories. Physically, not that long. I was back in the pool. I think 20, sooner than the doctor said you should have been. Twenty nine yeah. days, I think, after wow. the accident, I was back in the pool. But I had probably two years of just continuous injury. You had um, a couple of stress fractures off the back of it that wouldn't come out until, like, the summer after and stuff like that. And even, like, six months afterwards, like, thorns were just, like, randomly popping out of my face. That like, was like, oh,
0: I've got... Th- th- thorns? So from yeah. where they're just impl- implanted yeah. from the... hitting the bush?
2: Yeah. Wow. Um, and, but, like, I think emotionally, like, it... When I... I think after Abby and I got married, which was... We got married just before I took my finals at uni, so... Um yeah, I just after that I started counseling and I did 18 months of counseling, I think. I think somewhat because of the car accident, but just it just helped me massively as a person. Um but yeah, probably linked as well. And um yeah, so things like that I'd say we're definitely still recovering from the accident. But yeah, it was a it was a big trauma, I guess, anyway. Do you- Look at-
0: do you have any anxiety that comes up, you know, when you, if you're riding on a busy road and you can hear cars racing up behind you, does that ever sort of cross your mind or have you moved on from that?
2: Um, no, I wouldn't say that happens. I don't, I don't run on the road anymore. Um, and obviously if the sun's low and stuff like that, we think about that when we're cycling, but no, I just, we, just we, sometimes... we always
1: have like daytime running lights front and back and cars,
2: um, front and back so we do try and do everything we can but no thankfully i don't have any kind of long lasting and i think i'm just the same as every other cyclist that just gets frustrated when you know a very tiny percentage of car drivers yeah. decide to take
1: their anger out on you yeah
0: yeah <laughs> I yeah i don't think i've met anybody who's uh, who loves motorists that cycles you know, mm-hmm. I've uh, I've I've taken up a lot more gravel riding, and I find yeah. it so much more so le- so much less stressful because you you don't feel like anyone's trying to kill you other than yourself when you try to go downhill too fast. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you still have to uh, you still have to go on the road, and I, I, it it does feel like since the pandemic, people have just got a lot more angry um, for no reason. You know, it's, isn't it ironic when you're riding along on a quiet Sunday morning on a wide road? Uh, there's nobody stopping any cars passing you, and somebody slows down to tell you you shouldn't be riding too abreast. And then, and then, you know, they're probably blaming you for for holding them up on the journey, but they've held themselves up by taking taking yeah. the opportunity to shower. It's just it's just bizarre behaviour from people.
2: Mm. And things we're all well, a lot of us are car drivers as well. And We just, I think it's about like showing an example as well when you're on the road, you know, making sure your parts cyclists widely, making sure you slow down, just give them a bit of time and space. You know, at the end of the day, just because you see them as a cyclist
1: doesn't mean they're not a person. So absolutely. they've still got a family and, you
0: know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's let's talk about um, your triathlon career. So you'd realised that you weren't going to race in the Olympics, Jamie, as a, in, in WTS. And I, I can sympathise with those times that they used to have you try and achieve in the um, Talent ID programmes, because they were pretty hot, weren't they, for, for you, Jamie, mm-hmm. probably once you got over 14 or 15, you're having to do a 400 meter swim in under 4.30, I think. Yeah. was somewhere around. And Abby, yours would have been probably around five minutes. And you were, I think the target time for running was always three minutes per kilometer, but it was just a slightly longer distance as you get older. Um And we used to have to, we, we had some athletes who were really diligent, but they didn't meet the performance times. And so we had to tell them that they couldn't come to the programme. There was a bit of leeway, like Sarah was able to exert, because you also need people in a squad, don't you, to to help help everybody else. And, and people develop at different times as well. So
2: my yeah, triathlon journeys have been they really sim- similar. Yeah, in, different and in,
1: similar. In, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I did the sort of sprint-distance stuff until a little bit more recently than Jamie did um but I so I was doing some of the French Grand Prix racing on the British Super Series but as a senior which gets a bit complicated when you're a senior because it's not as kind of clear as to what the path really is mm. um and they use connectedly as like a I think it's European normally under 2023 under 23 qualifier and i'd been targeting that for quite a while and i basically um came out just at the back of the front pack but i think i messed up my mount or something silly because it was quite cold and i i struggled with the cold and i just fluffed my mount and it meant i just missed the pack
0: that's and, massive isn't it at that level
1: and it completely affected it and at this point i was 21 um and i really had wanted to qualify this time around and ended up finishing way back because I wasn't with that front pack and after that it kind of I was like I'm not really sure what path to go down a bit I was a bit stuck um because that was kind of the big event for the year to qualify for the rest of the season mm. um but thankfully we we have a local event called Ironborn which is a, it's called Eastbourne down here so they call it Ironborn like an Ironman for Eastbourne um and they have a half and a full um, so Jamie was doing his first like full distance triathlon there, um, and this was only four weeks before it maybe. And I kind of said to my coach, "I want to do the half, where the furthest I'd ever raced was a sprint distance <laughs> triathlon." Um, and he he didn't say no. Obviously, it wasn't the ideal sort of preparation. Um, so we we did what prep we could, and I did that, and it was actually the English middle distance championships and I won that and I just was like okay this is something new and exciting so let's see where that can go um we then raced Mallorca challenged Mallorca at the end of that season didn't go great because we had a a, a cold September here in the UK and then it ended up being like I think it was low 30s there Mm -hmm. and so it, it just made it quite difficult but I'll be um, still
2: finished second. So they give I want, you some... Yeah, second age
1: group woman.
0: But <laughs> and, what, and what year was that then?
1: This was last year. So, okay, um, okay. I, I haven't only kind of just started doing the half distance really. Um, although I've done quite a few now. <laughs> um, so then off the back of that, I after Mallorca, I was like, I, I think I want to focus on that distance more this season. Um, so I said to Glenn, let's go for the pro licence next year and then see where we go from there. And... Um, I did Lanzarote half Ironman in March at the start of this year, kind of as a. I did it as a. I wanted to do another half properly to see how it would go before trying to get the pro license at Outlaw, but also knowing that there is a percentage you can finish within the pro woman like leader to get a to get your pro license, but it's pretty tough. Um, at that one to get your pro license, I had to finish within four percent of the pro woman winner which was Annie Hag and she absolutely (laughs) annihilated the field (laughs) so much so that even India Lee finished second and she didn't actually finish within that four percent so by British platform standards she wouldn't actually class as a pro to achieve her pro license if you like um so that obviously didn't happen for me there um and then outlaw was the next big race and I had a nice two-month block and it went really well and yeah, Outlaw was a great day. So.
0: That That's one thing that I think perhaps, well, maybe age group athletes do come across this if they're racing at the pointy end of their sort of age group, is that, that there's a difference between an outcome-based result, which is what you were after, you know, finishing within 4% yeah. and then having something like Annie Haug on, on top form um, versus a performance one where you could have said, right, I want to hit these performances, you know, for swim, bike and run and feeling like you ticked all the boxes, but still not yeah. achieving your goal. It's, um, it's quite different, isn't it? And it, and that, that we'll talk about it later, but that whole outcome thing is also related to whether you earn any money from the race or not. And that's Absolutely. regardless of whether you've had a super performance. Yeah. Um, Okay, Jamie. So uh, you you did Ironborn as your first um, yeah, full you full it distance.
2: Is, it basically got to a point where I realised I sucked at sprint distance. <laughs> like, let's be no, clear. they made
1: it so the your there's already always been a lot of young lads that trying to do the super series, and they had to make it two tiers, didn't they, yeah. for, for the junior and then the under twenty three field. And you got to a point where you were like in limbo between yeah and i just realized the top end of
2: tier two do you know what really cut it for me there was this guy who trained with us who was at school in eastbourne and um i mean i literally you know day in day out grinding swimming you know i did obviously i came to swimming a bit well very late kind of 13 but this guy barely ever turned up to training right one time he turns up to training it was like a hundred like best on the dive and he just bangs out a fifty-eight. Wow! And do you know what? I had this moment of kind of like <laughs> revelation in my mind where I was like, "Hold on a second, this doesn't add up." I've been doing all this work, and however still- many years, yeah, and like... I'm just about breaking like you know
1: sixty-eight. Yeah. Or... No, no, no.
2: no. and this guy turns up that literally never trains, does whatever, like. There's no kind of like performance mindset there. And just bangs out a fifty-eight. I'm like, hold on a second. <laughs> and, and that really honestly. You had quite moment, a long chat with Glenn in the pool, didn't you? It like this <laughs> moment I realised that hold on, I just suck at sh- uh, shorter distance stuff. Like
0: yeah, but just let me just interrupt you there, Jamie. There's a lot of people listening to this and going. Oh, 68 for 100 I wouldn't mind I'll give my right arm for that so it's all it is all relative but I do take your point that you know yeah. it's very frustrating when somebody who seems to do nothing just turns up and, uh, oh, no. um, yeah
2: and so that was and, and, and a lot of things were now like coming together like I I was really at a point where I've always wanted to do performance level sport I, I just love sport any sport I love it and um and, I, and it was coming to a point where I was like, "What? why am I doing this? Like, what do I want out of this? And um, yeah, I haven't come from a particularly sporting family. My dad was a decent golfer at a young age, but um, yeah, there, there's no real other kind of sport, apart from my granddad. And weirdly, it was my like a grand, uh, granddad, who I never met, my mum's dad. He died when I was young, but it was his 100th birthday where I got up in the middle of the night and I just like got down on my knees I was like god honestly like I don't want to do this for me anymore like if, if I'm going to do this I just want to do it for you and that was the same point as this kind of time in the pool and lots of other things and that was when I was just like my coaches had said oh you know why don't you give the longer stuff a go and I, I thought it was kind of weak to kind of give up on my goal I did yeah <laughs> I, I just wanted to go to the Olympics and then I was like I just got to a point where I was like, okay, if that's where, like, God's seeing me, that's what I'm going to do. And I went and raced um, 70.3 in the in the Netherlands. Um, it was the first one there. And this was 2021, October 2021. Yeah, so it was just
1: off the back of the pandemic, wasn't yeah, it?
2: Yeah, and I trained for that, enjoyed it. Didn't do amazingly, but I did okay. Then I did, then I just signed up for Ironborn to do last summer. And yeah, and and then it kind of, Glenn at my end of season review last year was like, kind of, what do you want out of next year? And it's like my pro license, and again, that was so we ended up targeting the same race in, in Nottingham.
0: Mm. Mm. How did you get on at Ironborn?
2: I did win Ironborn, but it was a horrible. I mean, it was a brutal
1: run course. Like they took you. So you, we've got the seafront here in Eastbourne, so that's obviously nice and flat. And then because we the seafront, just goes from the seafront into the South Downs. Hmm. It took you around a place called Whitbread Hollow, which is just crazy.
2: Something hitting. like nine hundred meters of elevation over the marathon, and you had to go and do going.
1: an out and back on the seafront, and then a lap of this, and out and back, a <laughs> lap of this, and then you had to finish with a third lap of it. And was it the last time you were heading up there? You oh, were in a, were in a mood. right mood. You could just see it on his face. But like, it didn't matter how how like loud you cheered for him or whatever. <laughs> He
2: didn't want to hear it. He was um, going through a mental. Rough do you know what? That hatch. was even as a kid. That was, the, or a younger kid. That was the first triathlon I ever won. Was last summer. And um, I mean, it wasn't a particularly crazy feel, but it, I knew then that I actually was getting the rewards for the work that I was putting in. Whereas in the shorter distance, and it makes sense now. If you have runners, not Mo Farah doesn't run the hundred meters, does he? But he is really good. It's just working out what your body system is designed for.
0: So there's there's something that we used to talk about with the junior athletes is this like emotional intelligence Mm. and, you know, that sort of realization of where your strengths are and then... Coming to having peace with that and coming to terms with it, it does reflect some emotional intelligence. In like you could have kept battering away trying to right. I'm not going to let this guy do it. I'm going to get down to 58 <laughs> seconds and sort of almost killed yourself in the process, mentally and physically. Or take a breath and think, okay, maybe my strengths are somewhere else, which is what you've done and you, you've you've found that now. So that's that's great, um, and good good emotional intelligence, which is what you need, I think, um, it's to, to so race successfully. To
1: Switch over, like for some reason, yeah. there, there isn't. A, there's almost a stigma in the sport when you're doing the sprint sort of side of things. A lot of it kind of just seems to be a shared opinion that when you move over to the longer stuff, it's almost it's almost an out of like it that you kind of think, oh, you just moved over to that because you can't do the short of stuff. But when you actually move over, you kind of realise how big the long distance picture is, and like,
0: and that what's really interesting from my perspective as a coach is that. um when you speak with age group athletes, they talk about, you know, that they come into the sport. Some of them now come in and go, I'm going to do an Ironman. That's my first thing. It's like nothing else counts and everything else is just a stepping stone to get to that. So when I, when I started, that was, you know, I did a uh, sort of what would have been a sprint event. And then it took me eight years before I did my first Ironman. And now I have people saying, oh, I'm, I'm downgrading to do standard distance next year it's almost like that's almost like going the other way is giving in on the longer distance yeah yeah well um i was look i was looking at your facebook page all right (laughs) just to get a bit of insight into your lives and i came across uh, a post i think jamie you'd written this about outlaw half where you got that pro license and you'd written that uh you know, you began the race filled with negative thoughts, feeling attacked, preparation had been good, but, um, uh, but you had insecurity in comparison, which compromised your swim. So um, I guess trying to race for a, a podium finish and get the pro licence would have added extra pressure. So can you just explain that sort of that anxiety that you had and how you managed to overcome that to have such a good race?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I... I do have anxieties. I'm sure everybody has anxieties. Uh, And I I think naturally as a kind of, I'm quite a caring person and that means that you open yourself up and yeah, I mean, it's slightly different in the race, I guess, but yeah, I mean, I started that race knowing that I was in the best shape possible to achieve my goal, but I, I, when I I was swimming and and I was just thinking a couple of guys were already ahead of me and I was thinking oh no this is going to go bad and um I'm always drawing comparisons between my, like my faith and my performance um, whether that's training or racing and it's always got to do with identity and endurance um there's probably loads of examples that I could give listeners um of when. Like trusting in identity as an athlete, um, well, lets you down. That could be injury, or and mm-hmm. not being football team, or not performing how you'd hope to. Um, but yeah, here's a, here's an example I could probably give triathletes that they they'd all um, relate to, and that's when your swim coach wants to like change your technique in the pool because. You know, oftentimes, you, you know, you might be going quite well. And then then your coach says to you, well, I want you to breathe to the left instead of breathe to the right. And oftentimes that will make you slower, first of mm-hmm. all, not faster. Um, improvements, you know, at the, in performance sport literally, can literally take months, um, mm-hmm. day in, day out. Um, and that can become quite frustrating um, when you don't see the results as quickly as you want yeah um, and you just and you can start to get filled with these same kind of negative thoughts like oh, oh am am i good enough like and that's yeah. that's what i was thinking at the start of the outdoors like, am i good enough like what am i doing this like should i just financially support abby and just work <laughs> or like all of that and it's so unhelpful like when you're this is during the race <laughs> this is during the race um but yeah like coming back to My faith and that is being a Christian. It's trusting that like you're trusting in a God who claims to have created the whole entire universe to know you so well that He knows every single hair on your head. And despite the fact that we've all and you know this is this isn't a judgmental comment. This is me included and Christians included. We've all turned away from Him. He still sent His Son Jesus, and you know to die for us so that we could live a relationship with him. And, and that this is like, this is what gets me out of that hole or that negative thought cycle. Um, Like coming back to that swim technique example, in order to get better, you've got to place your trust in your coach, that he knows what's best for you. um, And that although you can't yet see those benefits of you getting quicker, in fact, you're only getting slower in that, in that moment, Actually, he is going to help you improve or he or she is going to help you improve your performance. So keep turning up to your sessions, which is basically just like keep turning up to church or keep praying.
1: Glenn always says turning up is half
2: the work. You keep reminding yourself of what your coach told you to do. Like what were those little examples? Was it keep your head lower or... Um, get your hand entry slightly better into the water. And that honestly is just like reading the Bible. Like you're just coming back to what your coach told you to do, what God told you to do in the Bible. And slowly, those insecure thoughts that you were having, you you your identity, because it's not placed in, oh, I'm just a sports person. It's actually no. I I was created by the God of the universe. I'm far more than a sports person. You can bounce back from those insecure thoughts, and then you can just crack on with what it is that the life that you've got. And every athlete will have insecurities.
1: I, I remember on in the Outlaw Run when my dad had messed up the timings and was like, "Oh, you're three minutes down." I was running that last lap, and at this point, this that was my fastest half marathon to date off the bike. I was like, "I'm running the best I can," and she's got three minutes on me. I don't know what, like, there's nothing I can do, but like maybe i'm not meant to do the business and stuff you start all these negative thoughts honestly just start coming in i was like i was thinking i'm gonna have to start working full time or something as well just like and it's
2: in those times of high level pressure and and this doesn't apply just to sports this is in just life whatever area of human performance it's about when it really comes to it those points in life what have you got you know who are you as a person And if you can bounce back from those negative thoughts, those insecurities with actually, no, it doesn't matter if I don't achieve this goal because actually I'm completely loved. There's nothing I can do to make God love me any more or any less. So I'm I'm completely free. And then suddenly you go, oh, maybe it's not so bad. I can just do what I was going to do. And that's what happened to me at Outlaw. You know, it just got to a point where I was like, oh, come on, mate, it's not that bad. Like, you know, (laughs) you're still loved back on and then went on to have a great race and hit the remember when we know. were
1: sat we were sat on training camp so we go on training camp body works like our performance squad we go on camp with the southeast um lot to portugal every february and we were sat there with sarah and she was talking about lanzarote that was coming up um and she was like she said something about whenever you do a middle or long distance sort of race, you always have those dark moments. You always have some sort of challenge in your own head to overcome. You know, it's not necessarily physical, but it's battling against your own your own thoughts and coming through the other side of that ends up determining, like, really how good of a race you end up having. And it just kind of shows that everyone has them in these sorts of longer distance races, regardless of age group or pro, whatever.
0: I uh, had a conversation with Pat Cook-Rogers. Have you come across Pat? I don't think so. Pat does the outlaw prayer um, the day before the full. So if you've not been for the full, you might not have met her. But she also does the uh, iron prayer the day before. Um, I think she does that before all of the 70.3 and um, uh, full distance Ironman races in the UK. So Pat is a, a minister and she does this and she's also at the end of the swim. I think it's fantastic. I was stood next to her and there were some athletes that were not going to make the swim cut off, you know, and clearly they, they I would imagine that some of them were going through exactly those thoughts about you. It's like, why can't I crack this swim? I'm rubbish at this, you know, and yet here they are, at least they're having a go and they're trying and, and obviously swimming is something that challenges them. And she waits there because they've just been given bad news by the organizers. You know, you can't carry on. You've missed the cutoff and she's there to sort of give them some comfort. Um, but she races herself, and she loves to do these super cold weather um, endurance cycle rides in places like Alaska and Lapland. And I said to her, "What about what, what happens when you're going through dark moments?" She says, "I've always got Jesus by my side." Yeah. Right now, I, I have to say, I am, um, you know, I I don't go to church. I've not read the Bible. Um, I'm sort of maybe, you know, maybe that's a failing. Maybe it's not. But that's that's not my thing. But I respect and uh, you know, love love your Your approach, and I'm, you know, so please don't think there's a conflict there. But I, uh, I, I really enjoy listening to where you have that strength from, and where you have that trust and that process, and where where you get that identity from, and it's fantastic. And Pat was just the same, and I can see how much it really helps her in dark moments, and it allows her to help other people as well. So you know, perhaps. I love that. I love that. So, please don't think I'm knocking what what you believe in and and what drives you on. Um, and I hope that other people that are listening understand that as well when they're um, when they're listening to this because it's uh, I think it's really important. Um, I, I love some of the some of the analogies, Jamie, that you use there. You know, anxiety. I think you're right. I think just about everyone has moments of anxiety, whether you're standing on the whether you're. At you know, a favorite for the Olympic gold medal or, um, the Ironman world championship, or whether you're a first timer doing a sprint race, you know, everybody has anxiety and it's important to have some trust. And, and that, I think about knowing you are loved, um, realizing that you're more than just a triathlete. In fact, even, even professional triathletes, they're training for 30 hours a week. They've still got 168 hours when they're a normal person going about their normal daily business understanding that you're more than just an athlete and even if your performance doesn't match up to your expectations everybody else in the world is still going to respect you and love you for what you do it it, it you know the the whole racing thing is is in in the grand scheme of things perhaps isn't that important so I, I love I love that analogy and also Abby back to what you said about you know turning up I love turning up I, I, that is half the battle with anything you do isn't it whether you're going to work or being a mum or a dad or, or being an athlete it's about just doing the right things every day and doing the things that make you feel comfortable and that you're happy with um so there's there's lots of really good analogies there so I, I like that um so we, you you touched on your faith there and um I know one of the things you wanted to to talk about was how your faith impacts your sports performance so can you sort of um go into that a little bit more in more detail please yeah I would
2: say it's just part of our lives you know it talks a lot about love there and that is the one word that would probably sum up the whole of the Christian faith it's just love and and love for everything that you do love for your sport because you're free to love it it's not it's not um you're not chained to it you're not like ah oh, I have to do this to prove my worth I love it because I'm free to love it I've been given this amazing opportunity mm. I'm just free to make the most of it, and that's what, yeah, the Christian faith allows you to, to do is just love it and love everybody within it. You know, also like it's quite grounding
1: because whether you have a bad session or a good session, or you know, you go through the highs and lows of life, like it doesn't really change. You know, we we do um we're doing a Bible in one year study at the moment, and every time we read it or listen to it with um our lunch so it's like whenever we've had a however the day is gone you know we come back to that and it's it's there regardless
2: and we have literally trained even at body works we've probably best on of about 100 athletes within a performance because we've been there 10 years mm. I think this morning was just talking about
1: yeah, she was going through
2: her photos from a number of years ago. You know when
1: you like go through and you delete old old photos because you've just got so many things on there. <laughs>
2: yeah, I do.
1: Some of them were like swim sets that Glenn had written out all of our names and your times go next to it, and I was just deleting them five years ago or something. And you just see the list of names and you're like, oh, they're kind of the only ones really still there.
2: Yeah, and and you know people have moved on to go somewhere else, maybe they've dropped out of the sport, but all these people we've got to meet. At- you know, same with Lynn and Steve and our coaching and the whole of triathlon, you know, yourself, people out mm-hmm. Outlaw. People, when we go and race, I race Diamond Switzerland. And this guy, this German guy at the end comes up to me and goes, Oh, I saw your t shirt in the race briefing. And he just pulls up his shirt and he's got uh, like a verse from Hebrews, which is a book in the New Testament yeah, yeah. tattooed into his side. And <laughs> it's just amazing because we have this amazing opportunity to just just love everybody around us whilst doing the thing that we love because we have been free that's how it impacts our you know i mm. the song amazing grace my chains have been set free it's that's what it is you're completely set free to do what the amazing life that god's given you
1: i remember the night before outlaw half like we, we did we barely slept like as you do before races but this one was obviously had a lot more kind of we had a lot more hopes hot like tied up in it and um we were both reading our own books before bed and they both happened to reference the same verse I think yeah which was just quite nice that out of like the entire bible we were reading two separate books they both used the same sort of Mm -hmm. um phrase and even though we didn't sleep it just kind of offered some peace in
2: that amongst the pre-race sort of nerves and jitters there's a lot of things we want to achieve in triathlon you know our genesis 215 campaign we want to really use our platforms to do so much not just within sport but in society but it's so easy to get caught up in all of that and it's just one verse seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all the rest will come to you it's simple just keep seeking him loving him and all the rest he'll sort out
0: so genesis 2:15 uh, yeah i i as i said i've not read the bible but i did go and look for that the lord god then took the man and settled him in the garden of eden to cultivate and care for it so if i'm interpreting that right you, you've been given a position um yeah. which which is actually it's um it's quite an important position, isn't it? Really? You're at the, you, you know, you're professional triathletes. Um, It's a position of influence. Um, As you've said, you, you meet people, um, uh, people see you, people see your shirts that rubs off on of people. They remember you. And that to me, uh, just going aside from that, when we talk about people on Instagram who are influencers and really what they mean is somebody pays me to wear something and then I get money for it by putting all these sort of um, vacuous posts out that's not really influencing people what what you do with what you you know your faith and the way you live your life is far more influential in the long run Mm -hmm. and and driven by more genuine means i think than just getting free kit um so anyway ran over um but it seems like what what you're saying there about influencing people and and influencing um People that are involved in triathlon and companies involved in triathlon is that we have this earth and we need to look after it in order for it to look after us. And so you're trying to influence those folks who are involved in there to be able to do that to care for the Garden of Eden. Is that right?
2: Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, we, we both work we've both worked in bike shops and really it came from seeing when the new bikes come in in their boxes, just how much plastic used to now I can thankfully say it's not as bad as it was, but used to be wrapped around those bikes and just go straight in the bin.
2: Um, And we've done work with the UN um, within our region and we hope to do a lot more work, but for now, we've just put a few things aside really, because we know that in order to have that influence, we do need to actually be half decent at what we do. Mm So (laughs) for now, we're really just focusing on our sport and building our platform and obviously doing that in a way that feels real to us, yeah. but allowing this stuff so that when it's ready, it's ready to go. You know, we've spent a lot of time putting our sponsorship portfolios together and, you know, with our campaign agency's t campaign and lots of other areas. So that when we do have that breakout race and Outlaw was one, but we're talking scaling Some up stepping here.
1: stone in the grand ground things. Yeah.
2: and we we don't want to be like oh right now we need to get everything sorted yeah. we want everything well we have already sorted these things so that when it happens mm-hmm. we're like okay now we're ready to really use our platforms to bless the world around us.
1: we both have always agreed like we're here to be in the sport for a long time not just a short time you know we, we both kind of got however you know 10 plus years the idea of racing hopefully is pros. So there's no rush, if you like.
0: Yeah. Can I can I just ask you about um your faith and and racing on Sundays? I know that there are some sports where there are some sort of um athletes. I'm thinking perhaps Jonathan Edwards springs to mind. Um uh, yeah first that, that didn't want to compete on a Sunday because it interfered with their beliefs and their faith but, but obviously that's quite difficult for you in doing triathlon isn't it because most races take place on on a Sunday have you have you had any conflict there that you've need to resolve over that the conflict
2: continues
1: <laughs> I mean I, I personally haven't but I would I'm a much like newer Christian than Jamie so I kind of see it maybe as more of a it's just part of the modern world but um you've definitely had some struggles with it in the past and
2: yeah. um we've we've done a lot of work with Chris well i specifically have done a lot of work with christians in sport growing up um limboy primus who played premier league football for portsmouth um he's done a, so much work with me when i was a lot a lot younger now and it's about understanding who you're doing it for you know if you're you know going out and all you think about is me, and oh, how much prize money can I earn, and, oh, I won't really want to get this, so I can get this X, Y, and Z, then uh, probably you need to, re- or oh, as a Christian, you maybe need to rethink what you're doing with your Sundays. Mm-hmm. It, there is no clear answer to this, and I think it's really, you. it's one of those areas you just respect the person who's giving an answer, but there is a story in the Bible where Jesus heals somebody, a man who has been at this well for all of his life and he's disabled and he heals him on a Sunday and the, the kind of Jewish elite leaders come over to him and they're like, how dare you do this? You know, it's a, it's a Sunday. You can't be doing anything on a Sunday. It's God's day. And it's like, guys, what are you on about? I am God. And if I want to heal somebody on a Sunday, I'm going to heal somebody on a Sunday. <laughs> and it's, and he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not Lord over me. And so the mindset that I have when all all of the time, not just on a Sunday, but in specifically answering your question is that I want to be doing it for God. When I'm running, I want to be running for him. I want to be running for his glory. And the Sabbath isn't Lord over me. God is Lord over the Sabbath. So as long as I'm placing my trust and my hope in him, I'm okay with that. But it it is difficult. And I do respect anybody who says actually Sundays are just for spending time at church and with my family. And I
0: love that. And I think that's a great response. Okay. That's great. Thank you. Um, okay. Let's, I last saw you in May. So you, your life's changed a little bit since then, because now you've got um, a professional license. Um, I am going to ask you two questions here. The first one is if you can outline a typical training week, but before that, um, Outline, if you can, how your training has changed since you got that Pro License. Have you felt the need to do more? Um, have you felt more pressure?
1: I think it changed. It didn't necessarily change after, but it changed when we both decided we were going for the Pro License. So the we have our off-season kind of October, November. Last year, when we said to our coach in our end-of-year review, we're going for our Pro Licenses, things changed then um so we I don't think we've trained any differently as such if you
2: want to become a professional you've got to train like a professional yeah like
1: the British criteria to become a professional is quite difficult as it is so really you only get that pro license when you're ready to race as a pro Mm -hmm. so to do that you really need to be training as a pro before that in the first place so um we actually moved in we've moved back in with my mum and dad this was a year ago just as one of the quite a few factors to help us train professionally if you like so instead of having to do uh three meals a day me and my mum and to cook, plan to you know recover in that and it's just
2: opened up a lot of different it's about building a jigsaw puzzle of how to you know when people you, lots of people have seen this diagram of success like an iceberg people just see the iceberg and below it yeah. But well, it's like a jigsaw puzzle too. And you've got, let's say it's a 500-piece jigsaw puzzle. And you've got to work out all of these different, where all these different bits go. And we honestly, I can faithfully say that we've been doing that since 16. You know, when I decided to go to university to study podiatry, it was because it was an Eastbourne. It would allow me a good income so that I could train. And, you know, when talking about mum and dad who were so kind in allowing us to um move back in and it's about working out all of these different you know having the right coach being in the right place having the right environment being married you know the person that you marry you know if i had married somebody who didn't do triathlon i'm not sure how my marriage would be going (laughs) because abby and i spend so much time we spend all of our time together except when we go to work two days a week so all of these different are different parts of the jigsaw puzzle. And I'd say now that we've built this wonderful picture and there's probably just a few more pieces that we've got to put into place. As Abby said, we're not doing this for a year on a whim or let's just see how we do. We're hoping to be in this for a long time and we want to be successful for a long time, not a short time.
0: I I often think it's like a Rubik's cube. You know, you, you look at one face and you think, Oh yes, I've got all the greens in place. And then you look around and oh, there's whites and yellows mixed in. So then you have to unscramble the green a bit in order to get two faces. And then you're jumping around congratulating yourself, but there's still six, four more faces that, um, that you need to get right. And it takes a while of adjusting. And like you talked about with your swim technique earlier, sometimes going backwards in order to reverse out of a dead end to, to make forward progress. And that, again that comes back to the trust and um trusting the process and just turn up and keep keep doing your best um and uh, i think i think that is something that i've noticed among a lot of elite triathletes whether elite age groupers or pros is that it's the process is really important and um i think sometimes we we get too focused on the outcome of like i need to swim faster rather than swimming better and then letting the faster happen
2: You know, that just comes back to the swim technique. I now, I've swum 63 from a push recently. And that's not because I've been, because it's naturally happened as a byproduct of taking that time. Yeah, exactly what you just said.
0: Yeah. And that kid that swam 58, he's probably no longer swimming. So you're probably beating him now. Yeah, that, that kid that was swimming 58 seconds, he probably doesn't swim anymore. So you're probably beating him now. <laughs> so you've you've ended up, Jamie, from turning up regularly, you've ended up getting the upper hand. mate. <laughs>
2: <great.
0: laughs> um, so I don't really like to dive into it's it's a bit boring diving into training weeks, but just give you give us a broad brushstroke. You know, what on on average are you training two or three times a day?
1: Yeah. So we do a rolling three days of of hard training, one day. Recovery day, but the recovery day still normally has two sessions in it. They're just significantly reduced in intensity to what they would normally be. Um, we probably run five times a week. We do run five.
2: Times we run a five week. times a week. We swim five times. We swim we five, times five times a week, and we ride
1: five times, times. We ride five times a week. And we do
2: strength Two
1: gym sessions in there. Um, we normally swim between, depending on the week, twenty to twenty-five k a week. I think. Yeah. Uh, running's a bit different because, like, Jamie obviously runs faster than me, so he runs further than me. Um, but it's normally about six-ish hours of running, depending mm-hmm. on the week, sometimes a bit more, sometimes a bit less. And riding again, we normally try and hit somewhere in the teens in terms of hours on the bike, but it, yeah, it varies teams. with what kind of training
2: cycles we're in and what races we're targeting. Yeah. And as, as our coach says, it's a constantly ever-changing picture. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah fluid, right? And, and... <laughs>
1: We work Mondays and Fridays, and we fit our training around that. Um, so, like, on a Monday, we get up at 4.45. We do normally endurance swim. Then we go to work for the day and come home and do S&C. And the same with Friday, except we don't do S&C Friday night. We swim. So that's normally a nasty day. But...
0: How much of your training do you do together?
1: Uh, well, we swim all. in a lane together, don't we? Because yeah we've worked to be some of the fastest swimmers in the squad um all of our aerobic ridings together so it's only the sessions on the bike we do separately but normally they're on the turbo so we're actually together anyway and then running varies sometimes we do some of our aerobic running together uh, but sessions are normally apart unless Jamie's doing Ironman training because then his Ironman pace is the same as my half Ironman pace which works quite nicely um but yeah, like a long run, typically Jamie would do that separate because he runs a little bit quicker, but it, it depends on how good I'm feeling, how good he's feeling. and It's a good thing we like each other.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, that's my next question. I've, I've, I've spoken to quite a few couples um, mm. that are professional triathletes and I always wonder how you maintain that harmony most of the time, because I know it's impossible to maintain harmony all the time, but how do you maintain that harmony when you you you're under the same roof and you're living together and you're training together? And and I guess there must be times when you're both tired together. And I know when I get tired, I'm not sleeping well, I get a bit irritable. So um, do you do you have do you have some pre-agreed times when you when you actually do things differently and do things apart?
1: uh <laughs> not really I mean I mean at the end of the day it's cheesy but we are each other's best friends so that mm-hmm. helps um it's difficult when with the longer distance sort of races when you tackle them the fatigue is is high and that week's normally a bit more touchy but...
2: so what really helps is just saying to one another and it's hard to do when you are really fatigued but just saying I'm really tired and I'm sorry if I'm going to be grumpy. And that we do say that. that you almost like
1: preempt it. it kind and of you helps. know what?
2: That, that completely. That then, it, yeah, it does. It? Yeah. And, and also saying sorry. Yeah. You know, that's one thing that we have learned to get quite good at is just saying, I'm, you know, after you've calmed down a bit.
1: Yeah. Try and tackle things before
2: they become too much of a problem. And these are some of the things, actually, these are just really basic things, but. We learned this when we did our marriage counselling. So we would have been married five years in March. And yeah, our like curate out of church and his wife. And we just did some really basic stuff. And honestly, it just diffuses so many situations before they get bad.
0: So I've had quite a few folks that I've interviewed uh, over the years talk about the importance of communication in all aspects of life. And so what you've just said there really sort of emphasizes how important that is to retain harmony and that is also something that comes up regularly and when you have harmony and peace in your life um stress levels are lower you sleep better you recover better the whole world is much brighter isn't it and Mm -hmm. when you when you have when you have conflict um whether it's in your head or between other people or with situations then everything starts to deteriorate so i guess what, what what you've managed to Again, part of that jigsaw puzzle is find a way of maintaining harmony, which then improves your life performance as well as your athletic performance.
2: Yeah, I'd say that's very true. Yeah, Yeah, a massive part of our marriage.
0: My next question then is, being a pro athlete, for a lot of people looking in would think, yeah, that's perfect. You know, you can live, you can every day, you can do the things you love, you can ride your bike. And then you can go and race and you earn money and you get free kit. And I know the reality is not quite like that, is it? It's actually really tough. Unless you're Annie Haug or Jan Fredino or Alistair Brownlee, where you've got big sponsors and they're paying you big bucks, um, it's a lot more challenging. So can you tell us about some of the challenges that you've been encountering?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there really is a quite a small pool at the top where they can fully fund themselves just off kind of prize winnings and, and sponsorship but for probably a good couple of hundred pros out there like they're in a similar position to us where they've got a part-time work to just kind of support it um like our coach said you never you're never fully professional until triathlon fully mm. like supports what you do and you don't have to work. Um, so while you have a pro license it, it doesn't mean it's solely what we do um so i work two days a week at the local bike shop so that's cycle shack um which is great because it means they are also one of our sponsors so steve the owner of the kind of shops he's supplied us with our race bikes which helps massively and um, it means i get to start meeting kind of reps of the brand and stuff so you can start building relationships there and um, so that's actually really cool because it's kind of a little bit of a bit of a way in hopefully to to bigger sponsors as we kind of get more results under our belt and hopefully move up the ranks um but
2: Jamie works part-time also so you do two days a week yeah so I work with my mum um my mum's also a podiatrist and uh, at my mum and dad's house we have a double garage and half of that is converted into this clinic and yeah that's been four years this summer um that we've been doing that and it's amazing because I get to see him, my mum and dad. Um, my younger brother, he's just left for university, but I've been able to see him a lot more than I would have otherwise. Um, but again, I mean, coming back to that jigsaw puzzle, it's so important to try and stay ahead. So uh, coming back to our sponsorship, portfolios, so we've just spent, I mean, I can't even begin to... A lot of time. So many man hours, <laughs> not just hours, but like Abby's mum, um A friend's um, kind of what, proofreading, yeah, and editing it, just to get this document that really reflects who we are and what we want to do, mm-hmm. um, and what we want to achieve, and really just trying to speak honestly and openly into companies who want to join that journey with us. um One of the companies, Sussex Plumbing Supplies, yeah, they've helped us financially yeah. with cash, cash sponsorship. They helped pay for. I, I wouldn't
1: have been able to get. I only got my first TT bike. Six months ago, or just over maybe February, yeah. and I wouldn't have been able to get that without their help. So, kind of the combined support from SPS and Cycle Shack meant that I could get a TT bike. Otherwise, we just weren't in a place to be able to to and, get one. And even
2: when we met Colin, Colin from Rayskin, um he did Bowwood,
1: didn't you? Yeah, Outlawed
2: Bowwood. And I, we had so we'd already kind of started ahead of the game, I guess, because we'd already decided that we wanted to come up with our own like kit brands. To kind of just—it gives ourselves an image, I guess. Yeah, and reflects um, our hearts, really. I guess, and um so we. And then I was at that race, and ours was already getting a bit ragged because we'd just gone for cheap yeah. and cheerful, but quite a lot of it. It's, it's
1: quite hard to get from a different. Kit.
2: Yeah, that was from a different um, brand. Yeah. And so I, w- I saw Colin at risk, and I was like, "Oh, I must go up to him at the end of the race." Then I went up to him, and he just. <laughs> It was just, It was like, well... He was,
1: didn't he say something along the lines of, weren't you the lead swimmer yeah. at the water? Because you decided you were just going to go, like, as hard as you could on that swim and yeah. see what happened. Um, and and that, like, that opened up the...
2: Yeah, and he was like, well, I would, <laughs> uh, you know, I'd like to have in our wetsuit. And I was like, well, we'd like our own kit, so can we come to a deal? And it was yeah. so good. Because
1: at that point, we were actually in, um, we'd had custom wetsuits made. Yeah. Uh, so we'd spent quite a bit of money to get them um so it actually ended up becoming a bit of a deal with colin but little did we know just how nice the race skin swimsuit like wetsuits are swim swimming like mm-hmm. if we'd have found them before we'd have got custom ones we never would have bought the custom <laughs> ones but we didn't know they were really yeah, existed.
2: So. <laughs> and now we've got our own i mean colin did such a great job with our design he just kind of took our ideas and worked with his team and now we've just got this amazing like brand really of like kit that you know I feel really it's becoming recognisable. Yeah, it stands out. Our hope is that it will grow so that everybody can share in that with us. But
1: it's also like the quality of the kit is insane. Like Compared to what our custom kit was before, like, yeah, great, it was custom kit and it Mm. kind of identified us. But the quality of it was, I mean,
2: after six months, it was starting to fall apart. I think so what we're trying to say is, is that yes... Being a or having your pro license against Travel the World sounds amazing and it is amazing. There's a lot behind the scenes. And also, to make you it. need so many people. Yeah. You know, it takes a, there's this saying, it takes a church to raise a child. It literally takes a complete community of people to help raise these triathletes. And that's what we're growing around us. Yeah. And we're so grateful for the support of other people. And we're talking about our mums and dads. We're talking about our sponsors. We're talking about our coaches. We're talking about the people who just care and love for us yeah. because it's not possible otherwise. It, you just can't do it on your own. So, yeah, we're very grateful for everybody, not just us at the finish line getting applauded. Do,
0: do you know, there's one thing I, I, I always think about when I think of professional triathletes, is this word professional um, I know a lot of folks think right. Being professional, like you said, you're not truly professional till the sport is till the sport is supporting you, and you don't have to work. But professional always also means the way in which you conduct yourself, doesn't it? In having a professional approach. So you talked about proofreading and, and copywriting and getting the document right and all the hours you spend, so that when it goes out to somebody who might be running a multi-million dollar company and gets to that position because they've gotten a, you know, because they're a stickler for attention to detail. If you've not got your full stops and your apostrophes <laughs> yeah. and your paragraphs starting in the right place, they're going to look at it and think, well, what, this is a bit slipshod. They're asking for my mm-hmm. money or my yeah. support, and they can't even be bothered to send me a, a, a properly written document. And um, The way in which you conduct yourself when you go out, you know, behaving, um, treating people, you know, maybe something from the Bible, treating people as you expect to be you know, Mm -hmm. them to treat you, Um, understanding everybody's a human being, Um, you you know, that in itself is is just as important as it is picking up a paycheck for finishing first. And I've met a lot of professional athletes over the years. And some of those have embodied exactly what I've just mentioned. And others, quite frankly, are, are letting the profession down. You know, I can't even remember who they are because I try to forget about those people. But for them, they are the people who are only doing it because they're motivated by money. And, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I get to ride a bike and, yeah, I'm a pro athlete. And so they, they've they got this swagger about them that's not, you know, it's unprofessional. Um, so, you know, I, I I really appreciate the way you've embodied that whole professionalism. It's, it's lovely to hear. And, um, you know, that, that sort of gratitude you have for all those people who are supporting you and helping you to sort of, be these people of influence? Mm. Um, you were Jamie. You talked about wanting to go to the Olympics, wanting to represent England at rugby. I mean, we've got we've got the World Cup on at the moment, so I guess you'll be mm. uh, watching that this afternoon and hoping we can get onto the the knockout stages. Um, what <laughs> are you? So clearly, they don't have long distance triathlon at the Olympics, and um, you've moved on from the uh, the goal of playing rugby. What are your ambitions now for the next few years? Because you've said you're going to be in the sport a long time.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think expectation can be, if used in the wrong way, can be quite damaging. So I feel like, just coming back to that verse that I referenced to earlier, like, I I know I can look myself in the eye. And if you ever want anybody to speak to you honestly, our coach will tell you how it is. And I know that if I was to have an honest conversation with Glenn and bring it up, and I go to him, Glenn, am I really training as a you know am I really doing what I need to do I'm fairly confident fairly confident that it would go yeah you know with what you got you're doing a great job yeah. and and it's about building you know you could say well you should be training full-time all-time right now but that's not viable so and in fairness he's never actually once said that. said that no
1: it, it kind of going a bit off topic but having the part-time work does definitely help because it gives you something mm-hmm. other than just completely being fixated on your training the whole time. Um and you get to, you know, chat to people and stuff. It just kind of takes you a little bit out of that triathlon world for a couple of days or a couple of hours a week.
2: So for now my focus is really just to keep living a performance lifestyle. Like I wanna I'm not happy with anything but giving my absolute best. And sometimes giving your best is actually giving yourself a little bit of a break. And that is important and that's probably something I'm still learning. But I love performance and I love a performance lifestyle. I love the way that we're living our lives. So I'm happy with really wherever the triathlon takes me. I hope it takes me to the Ironman World Championships to win the Ironman World Championships. But it might not do. It's very likely that it won't do. But that doesn't mean that I'm dissatisfied. Um, I'm hoping I've had a bit of a mixed year because I raced in Ironman Switzerland in my debut. And unfortunately, it was 37 degrees, and I really struggled in the heat. It was
1: back in that insane European heat wave that was just nuts, and somehow it didn't hit us here in the UK. But
2: Yeah, um... it was hot over there, and I then had some illness through August. So I'm through that now, I'm really healthy, and I'm building towards racing Ironman Israel. Unfortunately, this morning, I just got a notification through that, yeah, as very sadly that missiles have started being launched oh, from yeah, yeah. So I, don't, I honestly, I don't know what will happen with that. And yeah, this is kind of very fresh, but it doesn't, it kind of doesn't matter. And that's silly to say, it can sound silly to say, but it won't stop me. I, I will still go after a performance lifestyle. It'll be really sad not to go to Israel because I'm so looking forward to racing that race and just being in Galilee and all of, Everything that comes with it. But if it doesn't, it doesn't. It well, the way that we fix our or built our lives, I'll be there next. You know, we'll be able to go the opportunities will come. So it's not the be all and end all. But yeah, that's what's next for me, hopefully, God willing, on the agenda.
0: I love I love that. Um still focused on the process and the performance lifestyle. And if you if you emphasize that, then Whatever good performances that you have in races will come out of that, won't they? Because you've again, you've got all the pieces of the jigsaw in the right place as the foundation. Um, how, how about you, Abby? What What are your short term and long term goals?
1: Um, well, so this season, actually, I've been able to race quite a bit as a pro. I kind of got stuck right in, and um, just after Outlaw, two weeks later, I, I wasn't fully recovered from Outlaw. But um, the chance came to race Challenge Wales, so I did. Um, And that wasn't a very heavily prescribed field. There was only, I think, six of us pro women doing it in the end. So we don't do it for the money, but at the end of the day, it meant if I finished, it was a paycheck, which has... It gave me a leg up to then racing what has been the rest of my season because i got that prize money then paid for my next race. Um, which I did challenge at Ironman 70.3 Ireland. And I finished second there, which was really cool. Um, And subsequently, the prize money for that paid for 70.3 Belgium. And then I'm going to do Challenge Ignacia in in two weeks just to finish the season. But um, I kind of just wanted to get stuck in racing as a pro and just get as much experience as I can. Um, I think next year will still be a similar sort of ball game. I, I don't think there's anything like... At the moment, I'm not targeting anything specifically, but I don't really start thinking about next year until I'm done with this season, if you like. I've got a couple of things I might want to try and do, like um, potentially one of the Clash Endurance races and just try something different. Um, I would love to get into the PTI racing one day, but at, at the end of the day, I'm not ready for that yet. Um, if, you, if you're if you being like process kind of critical... Uh, or performance critical like my half marathon needs to get quicker to be a really competitive pro mm-hmm. um and I was speaking to my coach Glenn about that and it's the same sort of thing of it it's just going to keep taking time like my running is getting stronger um and I'm getting ready to run a quicker half marathon but at
2: the moment my body hasn't
1: yet and um, it has well it has but
2: I want to be quicker than that. So. He's run like a, like something silly, like a six minute PV from like the start to the end of the season. So yeah, it's it, what's really helpful it, is actually keeping each other honest sometimes. Yeah. And this is one of those examples where actually she's doing amazing. She's only twenty three, so she just yeah, yeah. it's just but it's fun.
1: one of those things like you you want to be better than you are now. Or we always do. That's that's
2: part of being a competitive athlete, right?
1: Um, so I, I, there's no major goals for the next few years, but I've got. Like races, I want to try and just see how things keep going, and um, eventually, hopefully, be at the championship races and be competitive there and just go from there, really. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, and, and hopefully, on the way to some of those, uh, we'll see you at some more Outlaw events.
2: Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, just coming back to the Outlaw events, they are really special because racing in the UK, you just get this kind of community of people who all kind of know each other. And that's really lovely.
1: And um, they've had like, you've had great weather for each one this year, for UK races too, which yeah. like you'd think, oh, UK races, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I think it's ended up being better than some of the <laughs>
2: broad and races. And also, if you look at the development of so many pro triathletes, so many have, come, yeah, have done the outlaw. So, um, yeah, we can't really, say you know, Yeah. recommend
0: it enough. Thank you for being here today. I've really appreciated your insights into the way you live your life. And the way you conduct yourself, both as athletes and human beings, is, is fantastic. And I, uh, I wish you all the best with your Genesis 215 project when you get back on top of that. But in the meantime, good luck with your final races of the year. And I look forward to seeing you on a finish line somewhere in 2024.
2: Thanks a lot, Simon. And thanks, everyone,
1: for listening along
0: thank you again to abby and jamie for being my guests on the show this week i absolutely love the way they live their lives and it really highlights that being a professional athlete is so much more than taking sponsorship dollars and a podium paycheck Now, to make sure you don't miss any one of our episodes in the future, please go to iTunes, search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast and click the subscribe button. And if you have time while you're there, I'd absolutely love it if you can leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because it really does help rank the podcast much more highly. Now, do you like reading or listening to audiobooks? If you do, then I have something you might be interested in. If you've ever read the show notes, you might have seen that we ask our guests to recommend their favourite book, something that's inspired or captivated them. And over the six or seven years that the podcast has been going, we've slowly been compiling a list of all of these, which is now way over 200 titles. So if you'd like the full PDF book list, please click on the link in the show notes. And while you're in the show notes, make sure you check out the links to all the other items that we've mentioned in today's conversation. That's all for this week. Next week, I will have another great guest, and I hope that you'll be able to join me. See you then.